Hi, welcome to Perspectives, a podcast that aims to highlight the voices of women of color at Harvard. For our second episode, we interviewed here in Lama. Keep listening to hear her story. Hi, Yirin. Can you introduce yourself to us, please? Hi, um, my name is Yirin Lemma. I take the SHU series, and I am a first year planning to concentrate in government and African-American studies. Where are you from, Yirin? Um, I live in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, which is like the very northern part of Kentucky. Awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on this podcast with us. Alexandria, want to take it away? Awesome. Sounds good. We're really excited to have you on, Yirin. Let me just pull up our kind of guiding questions. We have just a few, um, just to preface again, that um, this podcast is meant to elevate the voices and experiences of women of color on Harvard's campus. And we're really excited to hear your story. Um, We're, I know that in specifics that you were reaching out or we reached out to you about the situation in Gov50, but feel free to elaborate as much or as little as you want regarding other experiences or intersections. Um, We just really want to hear your complete story. So, um, but for starters, could you explain the situation regarding David Kane and Gov50 to the best of your ability? Yes, I can. So, one, Either Thursday or Friday morning, it came to the attention of most people in the course and generally at the college that there are issues with, um, I will refer to him as DK because that's what I'm used to referring to him as, um, with his history and um, participation in a certain blog that he started and ran in collaboration with other people. Um, One in the morning, a, I believe, sophomore or junior sent a giant, kind of resource link showing, like giving an official statement to DK expressing what they had found, like how they felt about it, that they thought that it should be addressed and bringing it to attention to not only the students, but also the teaching staff. A little thereafter, the head TF of the course sent out a message saying, um, we as a teaching staff had no idea about these allegations, these, um, this website that is apparently connected to this person we were not aware and from now on we're going to try to be working through it at the same time as you are just trying to understand it ourselves we apologize for any hurt that this may have caused from then on it was radio silence from dk for a while um yeah just about nothing um we were all just freaking out about it by ourselves in group chats and eventually through that um it was spreading more and more to like the rest of the college Um, because at first it was just a class issue, but then it kept going. Um, Eventually there was a petition written up and developed. Um, There was a separate Slack channel for the period of time where a lot was up in the air with DK so that students who still want to continue with the course um, could like still ask questions and engage without like any discomfort that could be caused. And then, so yeah, eventually DK started hosting just these Zoom calls um, for people to talk it through with him, I guess, or um, confront him directly with how they felt about any certain situation. And so, yeah, and eventually, I guess it just became water under the bridge. Um, Nothing more 
really happened. The, the class moved to a TF-led lecture instead of one led overall by the by DK so that they were in smaller groups and no one had to directly communicate with him if they didn't want to. So that's the gist of it. Oh, what was in the blog post? I believe generally it was a corruption of data science in a way to like reinforce racial stereotypes and gender-based stereotypes that um, were quite harmful. And that I guess is the sticking point, which is why <clears throat> many students, <clears throat> sorry, many students like myself found it hard to separate um, what was done on the blog from like the experiences that we would be having in the academic setting since they were so closely tied. But yeah, that's a general overview of what happened. Has David Kane done anything else questionable during your time at Harvard or anything else questionable um, in the eyes of other women of color? When the opportunity came that I would never have to interact with him, I took it um, very easily. So I have not interacted with him since that moment. I think the only thing that sometimes, especially after the whole issue came about, is like certain sections of the textbook are just are just really questionable. Like for example, like we have to talk about like the four cardinal virtues of data science. And one of them is like wisdom and like how we apply the data science that we use. And every time like they talk about it, they just have these allusions to racism or sex and sexism. Like they're like, oh, so you can talk about like probability statistics for having blue eyes. But if you were going to talk about any relationships between crime and race, you have to be really careful because that could be controversial. Or if you wanted to do any relationships between gender and performance, you have to be very careful because those are controversial. And it's like the kind of the, the insinuation there just like can't leave like our minds. And every time we find a new tidbit, it like goes out in the group chat and we're like, did, did you guys hear this? Like, do you guys see this part? And it's, other than that though, I have not spoken to him for months. So I couldn't really speak on it, but I wouldn't. Has he ever addressed these questionable sections of the test textbook? And also um, I heard about a lot of students being upset about a speaker that he intended to invite. Do you know anything about that? Yes. Um, I did forget that part. That because that I should have mentioned that that was also in the big overview in alongside the blog posts. It's also his plan to bring the speaker and like his continued plan to do so. For the first part of your question, no, he has never addressed the sections of the textbook. And based on his reaction to the whole situation with the blog post, I doubt that any like bringing it up would be very fruitful. So that was just not addressed at all. And yes, he planned to bring Charles Murray, I believe his name is, to speak <clears throat> as like, we have a series where just about every Friday, he brings a data scientist in to speak to us. Um, and he brought, he was planning on bringing Charles Murray about two Fridays after the blog post came to light. And he made it very clear throughout those two weeks that the, he said like, directly the only way Charles Murray isn't coming is if they fire me like between now and two weeks from now so yes that was a significant point of conflict I think 
a lot of people still attended that Zoom lecture meeting just to, um, I guess, um, expose ourselves to what Charles Murray had to say. And we came prepared because a lot of people had spoken with um, faculty within the government department, within the African-American history department, within the history department, and within the stats department to like really break down Charles Murray's um, claims and what he has put out into the world. And like, it was able to create not necessarily a critical debate because it was really one-sided still, since we didn't have any opportunity to speak directly to him and he couldn't speak directly to us, um, but we set up some good questions. The format of the um, talks was matched all of those before. So it wasn't any particular change that we could only interact with the speaker through question and answer. But he, um, but DK turned off chat about 10 minutes in. Um, so that, that was um, abnormal. But other than that, he just ran it as if it was business as usual. I don't know, he just acted as you would assume he'd behave. He made it very clear that, well, he, he presented himself very clearly as though he agreed with what Charles Murray had to say and the validity of his research. Um, he being David King, he was in agreement with Charles Murray. Okay, yeah. And um, for listeners who may not know like what Charles Murray has said, can you give um, a kind of small rundown of what the class's complaints were, what you found questionable, um, and overall what was really controversial about bringing in Charles, a speaker like Charles Murray? Sure. Charles Murray <clears throat> is widely renowned to be, well, he's just referenced to as someone who employs pseudoscience to reinforce racial stereotypes. Um, and this is, it wasn't as though like our class had a hot take on what Charles Murray had said or what he had done, it was pretty widely understood within like the statistic, the community of those who engage in statistical analysis, and especially in a, like a sociological lens, that his research didn't always um, it didn't reach the standards needed to be compared to general statistical analysis based on gender, race, socioeconomic status, things like that. Um, so he has a big a big point that was discussed for a bit in the meeting was his um, perceptions perspective on um, on like affirmative action and the reasons why people of well underrepresented people of color are less I don't he was trying to portray the experiences of underrepresented minorities in um, higher achieving colleges in a certain light that um, <clears throat> put the blame of their, he was trying to, I'm sorry, he was trying to create a correlation between the race of underrepresented minorities and their performance in a college. Um, and he expressed connections and he did like the one thing we learned not to do in class, which was saying, like, oh, this is a correlation and this is a correlation. So it might be a causation, but I personally can't say for sure, but it could be a causation. And that leaving that in the air leaves um, him open to manipulation by outright white supremacists, outright um, neo-Nazis who want to weaponize this against people of color. And that was the question that he was asked directly. And I guess another reason why a lot of people were uncomfortable with him 
coming was in response to the chance that his research could be used against people of color. His response was just like, that's not my responsibility. I say what I say and I can't take responsibility for what other people do with it. And I don't regret anything during my career. And that mindset is a significant aspect of why people were discomforted by his presence in the course. And did Charles Murray or David Kane acknowledge like the historical factors that might contribute to the supposed correlation between um, the data that they collected and like um, how it um, is reflected in different ethnic groups or racial groups? Um, not particularly. And again, because he didn't take that step in saying, I, Charles Murray, stand behind this being a causation. I don't think he felt the need to, but he, I don't know, as soon as it became a larger, asking for a larger social context for anything that he was saying, he would revert back to, well, I am just speaking on the numbers. That is what my purview is. That is what I'll speak on because this is just what I found. So he kind of, um, excused himself from a lot of the larger context and the responsibility of being a data scientist and trying to apply your statistical modeling to a larger social like lens based on race or gender or any other um, demographic statistic. He didn't take that step. And by not taking that step of applying your applying numbers to real life, he didn't feel the need to like look at the context. But again, that is why his research is questioned often because if he isn't willing to take that step, then he can't still expect to be applied to a social lens. Specifically regarding BK, he didn't really. The things that he was most closely associated with are just, um, like, are just intellectually fragile. Like they had no, no background could be really given to them um, to, any, any additional background or like understanding of social context that would be applied to those studies would just completely delegitimize them. So I don't think he found it fruitful to acknowledge them in any way. And how did this make you feel? I mean, all of these, like there's just so much to the story and to unpack that there's much to be unsettled by and um, really traumatized by like, how did this make you feel? I think I had an especially unique situation because I was experiencing something kind of similar in a different course. So in the middle of that first course being up in the air, then this came to light and it was very early in the semester. Everything was, I was not settled in the slightest. Um, and it, it, it just, derailed my entire um any like academic stability that I had developed over the first couple weeks on campus were just gone I couldn't work on any of my classes any I couldn't have conversations with people because the first thing they would ask me about is DK I had like hundreds of conversations about it and I think personally what bothered me the most was I come from like a like a town in northern Kentucky so racism isn't like this brand new thing that I was like, ah, like, oh no, not, you know, not racial discrimination, not gender-based discrimination. So I like, I understood that. And coming from a another pre predominantly white institution that I went through 
elementary to high school with, I was just surrounded by um, very few people of color. I was just used to this standard of like treatment and getting to Harvard and then finally getting a little comfortable with being able to engage with people of different racial and ethnic minorities and being able to really explore like my own academic experiences without having to be like the only black perspective or the only woman of color in a room. It was nice to like get used to that and to finally be adjusted to that. And then as soon as I was this close to um, really feeling comfortable in that, then this came. And then it was like, okay, it kind of hit me that Harvard isn't a bubble. Harvard is just like every other place. And every other place, you're gonna find discrimination and racism and you're gonna find people who use their privilege to, and like weaponize it against um, underrepresented groups. And that's just the reality of life. And it's a hard reality. And I guess just having to come to that realization twice made it even harder. Um, but yeah, my I could speak on my personal experiences talking directly to DK. Um, I came to the first meeting he had like available to speak to students. He, it was, it was again because I felt that responsibility. I entered the room and there was one East Asian woman and then just like four white men just speaking to DK about race issues and how they felt about this experience. And I'm just sitting here like, what, like, why, like, why, why is this the tone that we're speaking to? Also, it started at like 11 o'clock p.m. EDT. So it was just very clear that it wasn't really meant to be a space to foster communication, like open communication. And in that moment, I felt this responsibility, like I was not feeling up to it. It was just a couple days after everything happened, but I felt like this need to turn on my camera and like expose like, hey, before you say something, um, I am a black woman and I am in this room. I felt this need to like put that out in the air so he knew as if like, so he wouldn't say anything terribly controversial that he could say in front of a non-black area. And it's just, it was frustrating. And then the way in which he spoke on it, the way when a, a black man entered the room, I think I was the only black person to enter it. And then another black man entered later on. The way he was dismissed, he was like, just told to calm down. And his whole, his emotions were delegitimized throughout his entire experience interchanging with DK. And then repeatedly, whenever he would feel, whenever DK would feel uncomfortable with the line of questioning, he would say, okay, let's get some other perspectives and then choose a white person or let's get some other perspectives and like choose a, a guy and interrupt a direct line of communication he was having with a woman of color or with a black person in the room. And just the fact that he was so comfortable and leaning on these groups of people to not push him as hard or to give him these pseudo senses of comfort in a conversation that frankly should be centered on the experiences of underrepresented minorities and experiences of women of color as a whole and women as a whole, considering some of the blog posts that came to light. It was just ridiculous. And it just told me that um, my continued enrollment in this course would have to depend on like a complete break from any interaction with this man because the academic learning from them as an academic was no longer a possibility. So I guess generally it made me feel unseen and it took away some of the Harvard 
the Harvard goggles of this amazing liberal arts diverse college where I could like learn about myself without the pressures of um, the undertones of like where I came from and it's not you can't just get here and become like exist on equal footing with other people because the baggage of the baggage I have for whatsoever reason of just being a black woman comes with me and that experience wasn't going to stop these four years so I guess that was my biggest realization um, through this experience. And um, thank you uh, for sharing. And I know that bringing all these emotions up can be really hard. Um, what do you, if we could go back and we could resolve this um, in your eyes, what do, what do you think would be the best resolution for you? And also, how did the college resolve this? in actuality? I think what most people assumed, considering it's not the first time someone's been racist before, you know, in the history of the world. And I think there are some steps that everyone assumes would go, would like happen. One being acknowledging that you are wrong. The second being apologizing for being wrong. The third being apologizing for bringing it into the academic sphere. Um, apologizing directly to your students for disturbing their academic experience in the course and derailing their ability to learn programming, which is all we signed up to do. And then from there, I guess most of us, well, I won't say most of us, I'll speak just to myself. I expected him to acknowledge that um, that he was incorrect in the assumptions that he stated. And even if he didn't directly write the words, acknowledge the fact that he stood behind them and then continuously throughout the whole experience once they came to light continuously tried to argue for them and support them and give reasoning for them and then when he was pushed again and again and again he would just say okay I was just arguing hypothetically I was just speaking in concept I never said that I agree with these things so I expected him to own up to what he was connected to I expected him to apologize directly to the people of color um, that he was teaching, the people of color who felt uncomfortable in the spaces. I expected him to, at whatever age he is, he's grown, he's gone through a lot of education. I expected him to acknowledge that he has to directly speak to the people that he impacted differently, that he speaks to the majority white course that he's teaching. I expected him to apologize, maybe just as basic as that, say I was wrong. Even he didn't have to say I was wrong. Whoever wrote these articles in tandem with my blog were wrong. I should have seen them and taken them down. I should have taken this entire website down a long time ago. And like for that, I am sorry. And he never said that. Um, and then I expected the university to do something because the original response of the government department was to criticize the teaching staff who are the only people who reached out to us for four days days following the incident to even see if we were okay to see if we're ready. And the first response of the Gov department as a whole is just to belittle that, to just say, hey, they shouldn't have said this. I'm really sorry if that made you uncomfortable. And literally, I would say half the class responded to that email like, well, I'm sorry, I think that you should spend more time focusing on the instructor that you hired and placed in our spaces and the things that he did and maybe like acknowledge your role in perpetuating 
the like use of acad and underrepresented groups because if this is your response to it you as a gov as a government department you as an institution of harvard as the college itself should speak on it and should say hey i shouldn't have i shouldn't have to wait for the statistics the head of the statistics department to reach out to me and say hey i know some of these things are really disheartening and i want you to know that this isn't what true like academic um reasoning is this isn't true academia and we recognize that as one sect within the larger um um I'm sorry, within the larger context of like the college as a whole. So I just, I guess generally I expected accountability and I expected to be seen there. And then what the college actually did, like I mentioned before, the gov department reached out about four days after everything came to light and just kind of dismissed the teaching staff. And after then the teaching staff were much less able to like reach out to us directly to check in with us, which was really hard because they were our only um, element of stability in that moment. And then from then, nothing, honestly, nothing. There was a petition signed by hundreds of students. Nothing happened there. There was direct calls to Bacow, to like every dean in the book asking them to speak on it. I don't think there was much done there. Um, the only change that came later on was another professor came in and took the um, primary role in the course. And from then on, we were no longer forced to engage directly with DK because of this one professor. And I think they acted on their own. I don't think they were acting as a facet of the university. Well, first DK tried to make it so like after we get two weeks of break and then we have to go back to lecture with him. So because the professor came in, we were given the option of whether to go back with him or go to TF. So I think that was the main beneficial thing that the college did as an institution was allow that professor to come in and give us the um, the right to choose what to do um, with like where which spaces we wanted to enter going forward. Thank you so much, Huron. I really appreciate all the insight you've given us and we know this can be really hard to share and think back on and we really appreciate it. So do you think that the resolution that would be best for you would also be the best resolution for the class itself and why or why not? Like the recent, the, the um, resolution I mentioned earlier? I think so because I know a lot of students who have directly came to me and said, hey, I don't know if I should take a 50 next semester, you know? If I have to enter this space with an instructor who like not only was in the wrong, but can't even acknowledge that they were in the wrong, it, it just leaves a lot unknown. So I think it would be best for the course. It would make other students feel more comfortable, especially those who are, for example, on the data science track of the government concentration. So they have to engage with him in one way or another. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, it would just make everyone feel more comfortable. It would make the current students feel more comfortable. It would make those planning to enroll next semester feel more comfortable. And it would have it would have just been good. It would have probably been better for his academic career to say that, like on record, that he acknowledges the wrong, and to directly distance himself from the less 
um, defendable elements of the blog posts. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, what harm accountability would have done. And I think it would have only helped this, this current set of students, the next set of students that come into the course and him as an individual a lot more. So I think that it would have been beneficial for everyone. And considering the actual course of action that was taken, um, what do you think the implications of the situation and how it un, uh, how it evolved um, with your experience and in the larger picture as well? How do you think? What are the implications of that? Um. I guess again, like I mentioned before, it just took off the Harvard goggles like quite intensely. Not only the fact that he was able to exist and thrive within the space, but the fact that no one held him accountable before. And even now, once he's being held accountable, the college administration, the government department didn't feel any need to directly criticize him. Um, so I don't know, I feel like I just I see call I see Harvard as a different place now. I see it as a place that unfortunately and realistically upholds the same systems that we all operate under. And that's when I came to a majority white, really rich, really old college. I should have known that's what I was signing up for. But I guess I was just hoping in 2020 like it would be something different. It would be something more. And any like any support that I felt from the student base was just and I like for I, I get moments where I'd see all the work the students are doing to like advocate for change, not only regarding this situation, but regarding any situation, like advocating for divestment or advocating for um, a more apt financial aid system, you know, and then I would just see time and time again that their efforts are just unheard and unseen. If they are seen or heard, they're just completely disregarded and dismissed. So I guess the wider implication is just that Harvard isn't doing itself any favors in how it's perceived by its students, how it's perceived by the people of color who decide to enroll, who hope to enroll moving forward. Um, and I, I guess, I don't know, there's nothing else for me to think other than they agree with these, with these assumptions, these um, very harmful stereotypes that were allowed to be spread in this space. So yeah, I guess that's the largest implication moving forward for the college and I guess for the course as well. I can, I find myself when I hear someone say, oh, I think that I'm still going to take up 50. I know it's impossible to think that everyone is just going to take, like stop taking the course altogether. But I just, I wish it was possible. Like my gut response when somebody's like, oh, I think I still have to take a 50. I'm like, oh, you can take a 51 or you can take like X class, which is a substitute or Y class, which is a substitute. And um, I wish I wasn't having to have those conversations. I wish the college would do that. So I guess I, I guess what I'm coming to is the largest implication is that we are on our own as students, as a student body when um, advocating for ourselves and the administration isn't gonna hear us. And that's the largest um, point of disappointment that I still, I don't know if it's gonna be cleared up soon. And I don't know that it will be.
Yeah, I definitely understand that sentiment. It seems to be shared with a lot of women of color on campus. Um, speaking of which, did you notice a difference in reaction between the women of color in GovFD and in the college and um, just women or people of color um, and then the rest of the college population? Um. Yeah, it was interesting because we, we got hit on two fronts, which I guess is like what life is, but the fact that there were some explicitly sexist sections and misogynistic sections, and there were some explicitly racist. The explicitly racist um, sections of the blog post, I wouldn't say affected all women of color. I think it focused on Latinx or Hispanic women, and, or yeah, I guess that's how you could say that. Latinx or Hispanic women and um, black women were the focus and that it's widely like perpetuated the model minority myth that surrounded Asian um, communities. So I think specifically for black women and Latinx or Hispanic women, um, I wouldn't know, honestly, cause I didn't get to engage with too many. I got to text one black woman who is um, a sophomore in the college right now. But other than that, every space I entered, like the space to engage with DK, I was the only underrepresented woman of color um, in conversations. The, the student who brought this all to light was a woman of color. Um, not a, I mean, like an under, she was a black woman. Um, but other than that, yeah, I guess the, the way the college is set up and the way taking a data science class is set up, there aren't gonna be many underrepresented women of color, even within the um, government concentration. So I didn't engage, I didn't get the chance to engage. And I was looking, I was searching, I would engage with my proctor, who's a woman of color. I would. I looked at my um, one of my other professors who is a, um, a black person in academia. Um, so I, I had to look elsewhere to find like the perspectives of, of people who could more closely relate to the situation in the ways that I could. But the reactions of everyone else, like I said before, was just reinforcing him in a way or pushing him very slightly and then as soon as he gave any defense like accepting it and I think the particularly harmful thing in the first couple of days after this all came to light was that he was met with too much acceptance from people who from people and communities that weren't meant to accept him so of course he didn't feel like any um, need to do more or say more because he was given five gold stars and a pat on the back for saying anything at all from the wrong groups of people. So I guess that's also something that I wish. I wish white people who entered that space or people or any community that was directly uplifted by the things that were criticizing and diminishing other communities, I wish they could have acknowledged the space they were taking. And I think that would have went a long way um, in making this a more um, constructive resolution to this whole situation. But I don't know, it, it is what it is, it happened. Um, we all can grow from it, I think. So do you think, do you feel that it was kind of the responsibility to address the situation was placed on to black women and other women of color? Um, and also, do you think that if the woman of color who brought it up hadn't brought it up, it would ever have um, been brought to the attention of the class? Um, and if so, do you think anyone would have reacted really to it? Oh no, for sure. First of all, like that takes a lot of bravery, like just saying like directly in a Slack channel to the person you're speaking to to completely lay out 
research, lay out exactly everything that they did and ask for accountability, especially in a black as a black woman in this context. Um, and then even moving forward when the TFs had to move like meet with people within like the students like student body, they met with the the black caucus of the undergraduate council. Not the entire undergraduate council, the black caucus of the undergraduate council. And it's just like, I think we all know that's how the world works, but again, it's just reinforcing this reality that black people have to continue to advocate for themselves. Underrepresented groups have to continue to advocate for themselves because people with privilege, people with the opportunity to advocate for them just don't. And again, and again, and again, it's just happening again and again and again. And it got to a point where I was tired of people coming to me and asking me what my perspective on it was because I didn't have the emotional bandwidth to continue to explain again and again and again why why it hurt me like well no dip like you can read right you see what they said about black people and you see what they said about women that's how it made me feel you know and i don't need to be your your like i don't know if i could say like your your um i won't say that because i don't know if i can say that i can't be like just what you come to to just have a little experience of um discrimination and just like have a, a little seasoning in your day and then move on you know so Yes, I would say that it was the responsibility of particularly underrepresented women of color. But I think that in this case, um, at least the black men that I experienced, they took a pretty strong role in advocating for them as well. I think realistically, if the blog posts that came to light was were only specifically focusing on the experiences of women of color, instead of there just being an intersection between misogyny, racism, and then we were stuck in the middle, if the blog posts were like, directly accounting for women of color. I don't think that that same support would have come across the um, black community, but I guess that's just speculation because I wouldn't really know. But yeah, I would say definitely the entire burden was put on people of color, women of color, black women throughout this experience. And I honestly think that's the reason why it wasn't heard really. If, if the, I think if the entire undergraduate council or if if, if it wasn't like 50 black organizations signing the petition for change, if it was able to have a more widespread impact, then I think that something more could have happened. But the reason why we're underrepresented groups is because we're underrepresented, you know, and we can't get the majority. So I'm not, I'm not surprised, but that's how, it, that's how it works. That's how it has worked. And that's just how it happened in this case. Thank you. Um. I think that wraps up our questions. Um, do you have anything else to add? Or I think I would just like to directly thank you both for um, bringing this unique intersection and experience to light because I think this is the first time I've been directly um, seen and heard as a woman of color experiencing what I had to experience in that class. Um, and I think that it's important that we continue to have conversations um, centering the people who have never been centered. And I think that this podcast could go some way and at least shedding the experience of one black woman who experienced this course and how it made me feel. Maybe more people would feel more comfortable speaking on that. And maybe people who won't necessarily relate to my experience as much could um, hear this and recognize the space they took in these conversations, intentionally or unintentionally. That's the reality and we're all growing. Um, and it sucks that it has to take another um, racist man to 
bring it up lone racist associated with racist blog posts man to um bring these conversations to light but that's how the world works i suppose and i'm glad that um at least we got to grow a little bit from this whole experience so thank you both so much thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your perspective and telling a story that definitely needed to be told. We really appreciate it. And we know a lot of other Harvard students will appreciate it too. Or will, will appreciate it too. Um, it's really important to shed light on these things. Um, and I really haven't heard it talked about much. So thank you. Thank you.